Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. Good morning, church. It's good to see you. I love the, the videos that Kirsten finds and puts up there. I really do. Only downside is they're so dramatic and perfect, and then they fade to me. So there you are. But I, yeah, sorry. <clears throat> it's not for lack of trying to find a better one, but this is it. So um, anyway, I, I, we don't usually do this, but I want to do this. Just say thank you whenever you check in. It's so encouraging uh, already. We have Illinois, Mexico, Missouri, Michigan, Florida, Texas, Ohio, Indiana, lots of Tennessee folk, Ohio folk, Los Angeles, Cara Reed, you have to get up so early. Yeah, thank you. Uh, more Texas, more Missouri, North Carolina, Florida. Uh, it just goes on again. California, Tennessee, Downtown Memphis, uh, northern Mississippi, northern Alabama, several in Alabama, and thank you. Uh, Apache Junction, Arizona, sounds quite exotic, frankly. Love to see that. It just, it's encouraging. It is so much fun for us to see. I got an email from someone saying, listen, I heard that you will go visit clusters, and in our town, we have 12 plus who meet every week and listen to your class. And I'm going, yay. And we, if you're watching, um, yes, we will, I will definitely make plans to get to you. But when I looked them up, we didn't know they existed. You know, they weren't members. They'd never checked in. So check in and, it, you know, tell you what, you check in. I know that's an onerous duty. And then I'll take the seven plus hour drive to come see you. I'll come see you anyway. But it is, it's just encouraging. We're, we're looking at a few more stories before we switch and go into a new series, most likely the first week of February. Why do, we, why do we take so much time with stories? Well, stories are incredibly powerful. The stories we know, the stories we tell each other, the stories we tell ourselves. I have often say the stories are the second most powerful force in the universe because they can direct things. When you cannot win an argument with your words and with your logic and your syllogisms, very often... You can win it with a story. And that's why politicians will sometimes, instead of saying, I want the tax because of this, they'll say, here's this little boy, and here's his story. And the story resonates. Stories, uh, that's why they don't show you a chart of famine and crop failures. They will show you children that are hungry. Stories. And these stories were preserved for us by the Jewish people and by early Christians and there has to be a reason. They didn't save all the stories. So the stories that are there, we need to pay attention to. The stories gave them identity. It gave them meaning. I can remember years ago now, it's not that many years, but when 23andMe and Ancestry.com and such burst upon the public consciousness, that I, I watched um, several of these commercials and they, how excited they were to see where they were from. And I was especially touched by African-Americans who, of course, <coughs> got cut off 
from their lineage and from their history and now can reconnect. And one lady was almost in tears wearing Ghanaian clothes because now she knew who she was. Those stories are important. Those stories shape us. We need identity, and sometimes we find it in our work, our family. Sometimes we find it in our faith, or the greater story of how we got here. The story of Joseph is one of the longest in Scripture. It seems particularly long to me because of a very selfish, me-centered reason. When I was in middle school, we were in this little church, and you had, you had Sunday school. We called it Bible school. And we'd go down into the damp church basements. Do you remember those, right? It was hard to keep the flannel graph figures on because of the humidity. And eventually, Peter was taking a header. You know, he was coming off there. <laughs> and, and they were able to find, God bless him, and all and in the entire world, the most boring Sunday school teacher ever to teach the middle school. And we did 13 weeks on Joseph. And it was, it was a trial. It was. Back in the days when you had a book, you had to take home and fill out stuff and bring it in. You had the homework for God. And so you brought it in. And finally, at the end of those 13 weeks, I was getting promoted to the next class. Could not wait. Got to the next class. They started a 13-week series on Joseph. I, I can't really hold this against Joseph, but I, I do plan to tell him that amusing anecdote one day. Moving on. One of the longest in scripture, but think about what that means. That should make us sit up and pay attention. They had to invest time and money into putting this on papyrus, later vellum. They had to spend time when every moment of every day was working to protect yourself from others and to raise crops or herds for your group. Somebody was allowed to not do those but to write down the stories. And then others, generations after generations, to copy the story, make sure that story survives. So we need to figure out what this story means. First of all, it's just, it, it's just, just a story. Do I think it really happened? Yeah, I really think it happened. So don't take that wrong. It's a story and however, there's a figure in here. Stories like Moses and Elijah and Joseph, sometimes they say they prefigure Christ, which is very true. But I also think Christ acted out in his life the stories that got us ready for him. And this is one of them. It starts out with a family of faith. It's a very strange family to us. They, they're nomads. The people where this story started didn't have a land. They didn't have a nation. They had a general area in which they would roam, but there was no place that was designated by law to be theirs. And so they moved. They moved with the, the flock of sheep, the flock of goats. They're their own people, but there are people that God has now chosen to be in a story and to tell a story. In fact, he even changed the name of the head of this family. From Jacob to Israel. And Israel means those who wrestle with God. Now that's a story point that should have been pointed out to us. But it was assumed everybody that read it knew. And so now you know. Dad was a rebel and a con man. He had a, he had a past. 
He was a con man and a rebel in his youth and in his adult years. He settled down now. But this was a polygamous household. Very common back then because when men died, women often needed the protection of a man because there were no laws and bad men were around. So polygamy was a part of keeping the line going. There were, there were wives, there were concubines, which are secondary wives that were there to keep the line going. None of that was God's original plan, but you know, reality is there. Whenever you have several wives and then concubines to make extra babies for the line, there's going to be some sibling rivalry. <laughs> you ever had more than one kid? Immediately the rivalry starts. Some people, not learning, keep making kids. And after a while, the kids can outvote you. Uh, the, the, the mass of movement there, unless you're in charge and you, you make sure you're in charge. This, um, this sibling rivalry was pretty rough. And then you throw into it that dad had a favorite. Favorite wife and a favorite boy. In the 1980s in America, a model and actress named Kelly Brock was hired to do a series of commercials for Pantene shampoo. Now you may not remember these at all, but I remember it because the tagline really bothered me. She'd turn around, hair doing things, and she'd say, don't hate me because I'm beautiful. And my first thought was, well, I, I didn't, but I'm starting to. Why, why, why does that make me dislike this person suddenly? And I think all of us understand that you don't walk into a room going, okay, don't hate me because I'm beautiful. Oh no, we'll find other reasons. Come along in. You know, it's, it's, it, I cringed. I think most of us felt that attitude while they're trying to sell the shampoo. And the idea is that if you use the shampoo, you'll be as beautiful as Kelly Brock. You won't though. It's, it's, it's like thin mints. That's a lie. You can eat all you want to. They don't make you thinner. Um, this, is, um, this won't work. Remember the popular kid in school? I do. Those that were gritting, it wasn't me. So don't think, <laughs> no. No, I passed through school unnoticed by most. But that kid that was great looking, top grades, great personality too. Not a jerk. A jerk just nice and yet had everything sports star ace the acts or the cgses or gcses whichever nation you're in uh, i i hated them i did because the girls that would come in you became invisible when he walked in later through life uh, i was invisible to other girls you've, you've you've been to amusement parks where they say you must be this high to ride this ride a lot of girls had this, your bank balance must be this high before I'll talk to you. And, and I didn't have a bank balance um, at all. So you look at one of those kids and you're jealous. You want to be, you want to have some of those attributes. But um, it's a problem, isn't it? Joseph was that kid. It shocks us to think of his brothers doing nasty things to him later. But a couple things to remember. The patriarchs have a tradition of not raising their kids well. Have you noticed this? Not a one of them raised their kids well. At all. In fact, David, I keep thinking, after the second son arranges a coup to kill and displace you, do you start questioning your parenting skills? And there's no sign that he ever did. 
And also remember this, to complicate it further. Because you have many wives, and because men can make babies for a long time, your brother or your sister, there might be a 50-year gap between you and them. This takes sibling rivalry to a new level. The family would be also separated because you're not all going to live in one tent. And the tents are going to be scattered. So emotional and familial ties were very difficult to form and maintain. Brothers and sisters were often strangers to each other. What follows is a long and complicated story. One of the longest in scripture. So if God's going to use all that chapters on a guy, let's talk about him. Joseph was not his own best friend. Joseph wasn't smart about what he shared. His father, Jacob, now Israel, loved, loved Rachel. Loved Rachel more than all the others. And that was Joseph's mother. So much special love for Rachel. And it all flowed into Joseph, not to the others. He got to live at home while the older brothers were out tending sheep. Oh, good. He got the easy way. He was sent to check on his brothers. I don't know who thought that was a good idea. Send the one who's not doing anything to go check on those who are. Well, when he came back, he said, they're not doing it right. It's a really bad report. Can you see trouble a-brewing? Yeah, there are storm clouds forming on the horizon. Oh, but he made it worse. He had dreams, lots of dreams, whose obvious interpretation was that one day all of his family and brothers would bow down to him. I would suggest that there are some things one might keep to themselves, that there are some thoughts best not expressed. I, I love a couple of my grandkids that, that don't quite grasp this yet. The, I love them all, but two of them in particular. Uh, I, you know, I think, have you, have you ever had an unvoiced thought? I'm not sure the internal dialogue exists at this stage, which makes it wonderful and exciting and tragic all at the same time. And he's going, hey, I had a dream. You might think, who has dreams like this? Because dreams are going to play a lot, a, a big part of this story in many characters. You might be surprised to know that in our society where dreams are not really that important to us, we forget dreams very quickly upon waking. In other societies, they do not have a phrase for, how did you sleep? They have a phrase, how did you dream? And the tradition in the morning is to share your dreams. Many societies still do that to this day. Well, his dad gave him the richly ornamented robe. The coat of many colors, as you've heard. Think about this. You're, you're an honest, hard-working person. Got a lot of brothers. You're honest, hard-working. And you and your brothers are working hard down at Walmart and Lowe's. While your little brother shows up in the Bentley and then criticizes the way you do your job. Mm. The brothers hated him. And can you see why? Of course you can. Time had come to stop this dreamer from taking over their lives and their inheritance. Because who knows what dad's going to do with the, the stuff when he passes on. So we're going to need to get rid of this guy. 
So Joseph goes back out to you know, look at his brothers and send back another report. And most of them have zero emotional ties to this kid. So they say, let's kill him. Only two thought that wasn't a good idea. And their compromise was, let's th just throw him in a pit. It's a cistern, is what the word really means. So it would have been some sort of spring in a rock or something, but throw him down. He can't get out. That way we don't kill him. You know, it just happens. Uh, and that was, and by the way, that's, I've heard that story before uh, in various murder cases that have been studied in, in law schools and such, where no, we didn't kill him. We just put him in a place where he would die. But then that's on God, you know, for not feeding him with ravens or something. I'm not really sure. Only the intervention of Reuben and Judah got him even that far. And then the whole plan, by the way, was Reuben was going to come back and sneak him out. But on one day when he was gone, Judah said, hey, here comes some, another tribe, the Ishmaelites, the Midianites. Now, I want you to remember, Joseph's granddaddy is Abraham. Abraham had another son through Hagar called Ishmael. Ishmael was thrown out into the desert. So they're looking at them as cousins from a different people, and they don't mix, but they're cousins. So we're not throwing him away to strangers. Let's sell him as a slave. And they did. They sold their brother as a slave. Then they said, well, now we got to get our story right. So they killed a sheep and they dipped the many uh, colored or many ornamented. The word actually is hard to, to know which way to go with that cloak in the blood and then went back and said to their dad, hey, didn't this used to belong to Joseph? What do you think? We, uh, it seems something tragic must have befallen him. Think of the, the harshness, the cruelty to do that to your father. But once again, I don't think any one of these boys was close to his father. And certainly none of them had ever been to Sunday school. And if they'd been to Sunday school for 26 weeks on Joseph, they would not have done what they did. But they didn't. So life is now for Joseph, and this is really important because this may be your story too, has gone from the very top to the very bottom. Not all the way. He's, he's going to bounce a little bit, but he went all the way. And whose fault is that? Well, we could say, Joseph, you shouldn't have said this. Jacob, you shouldn't have sent him to do this. We can always find that. But here's the thing about stories. Stories have a point and a theme, and then at the end, there's a reveal, or there's a resolution. Why in your life do you feel uneasy, uncertain, your faith is troubled? Why? Is because you're still in your story. Your story's not done. Joseph was still in his story, and you'd better believe he was wondering what was going on with God in his life. The Midianites sell him on. He ends up in Egypt, but he lands on his feet as a servant of Potiphar, a very important Egyptian official. Now, that's the good news. Bad news is he's still a slave in a country that speaks a different language, does not know Joseph's God, and the position Potiphar held in the Egyptian government was chief executioner. So job reviews could be a little rougher than the norm. Still, the Bible says God favored Joseph and Potiphar liked him. 
and figured he was pretty smart. So he elevates him to the head of his household. That, that was a very common thing with slaves all the way up through the Roman Empire. And they could be head of household, which actually meant they were part of the family then. Some of them even took the name of the family. But still a slave, don't get me wrong. But it's interesting to me that Potiphar saw all of this and there is no mention of Joseph ever doing a miracle or a sign. So it had to have been his character. How do you keep your character when you've been thrown in a pit by your brothers as a best choice and then sold as a slave? How do you keep your character? He did. He kept his, even though he was in the middle of his story and had no idea how it would turn out. I would submit to you that there have been many millions of people that were sold into slavery whose stories did not turn out well. He had no reason to think that his was going to turn out well. But here's where the story finally reveals why Joseph was blessed by this position. And you see, here's the thing. We don't know why we are where we are. But now we can look back at his story and see why he was where he was. First and foremost, it must be said, Joseph was blessed because it advanced the cause of God. We, um, we're not the point of this story. We're part of it. But we're not the point. The point of the story is the movement of God. And we play a part in it, but we're not really sure what that part is. We just have to be faithful unto death. Faith, second, he was blessed because he stayed faithful. Faith is great, but without faithfulness, it is empty. No, no wonder that um, we are told again and again to be faithful. So you don't just have a little bit of faith. Your faith actually directs your choices is what faithful means. So faith's not over here. Business and finance over here. How you treat family over here. You see what I mean? Your faith will impact every single thing you do and the things you choose not to do. Now, faithfulness is not really helpful to the story of God unless there's an outside expression. Unless it comes out in your behavior. That is why Jesus' brother James tells us in his, his book that faith without works is dead. That word also means empty, useless. What's the point? It needs to be shown. And Potiphar saw it and elevated him. Well, Potiphar wasn't the only one in the house. Potiphar's wife noticed that Joseph was a good-looking dude. Well-built, handsome, smart. And she tried to get him to have sex with her. By the way, this is not a one-time try. This was day after day after day, trying to get this boy, this young man, to have sex with her. Now, what you think about this, you're a young lad, you, um, you believe in God, but there is no sign in your life yet that God believes in you. And you feel isolated, because you are. Thrown away, never go back to home, never see your land again. And here's a lady, assuming she's pretty, but here's a lady offering herself to you, and he would say, no. He says, I cannot do this great sin against my God. She didn't know his God. She didn't care about his God. She had lots of gods. Pick one to choose, you know, the, to please, and, and, and let's, let's do this instead. One day she got so aggressive that 
he, she pursued him and grabbed his clothes and he ran out of his clothes in his underwear. Not a good, not a good look to be found in your underwear when Potiphar comes home. Either way, some story had to be told, and I do wonder about this. I don't know whether it garnered attention, and so the other slaves told Potiphar, or whether she went to Potiphar you know, at first to explain, but somehow the story was told to Potiphar that Joseph was trying to have push her for sex. Flipped it. So, think about this. He's the chief executioner, and that's the story he gets. So he throws him in prison, which makes me think Potiphar didn't believe his wife. Because normally, you just kill him. Now, why would you throw him in prison if you don't believe in him? Because the order and the peace of the Egyptian community is all that matters, not individual lives. The idea that individuals have rights and individuals have value is a Christian concept it was not a governmental concept. And therefore, the best of all things, like being thrown in a pit, thrown in a prison. The story is very familiar, and that can be fatal to the points the story wants to make. So let's stop here and admit that if we were Joseph, we would be seriously reconsidering our relationship with God. Because there are no wins. Where are his wins? Where is the sign that God is faithful to Joseph? We have many signs that Joseph is faithful to God. That may be what you are thinking, but you have never even allowed yourself to give voice in your head to that thought, thinking, I have followed God, I have followed God. Where is the return on this? We would feel mistreated, abandoned, lost. We would question the value of continuing to hold God up since it seemed that God wasn't holding us back in return. I would love to go on this much longer, but just think about this line. We are trapped in the now, but we refuse to live in it. I'll explain very briefly. I can elucidate more if you want to. We're trapped in the now. We cannot fix our past and adjust it, and we do not know what the future holds, so we're trapped in the now. But instead of living in the now, we think of our past and worry about our future so that we can go through our life without ever living in the now. Trapped in the now, but refusing to live in it. I guarantee you Joseph was in that same situation because he's human. Now we know that God did not desert Joseph. In all of the Old Testament, by the way, only one person is described as being filled with the Spirit of God. By this way, you know it's already Joseph. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18 that we are to pray that we will be filled with the Spirit. Now, we receive the Holy Spirit as a gift when we are baptized. Now, that doesn't mean that we're going to have miraculous gifts, but we have his presence as a gift. He lives in us now. He helps us. He gives us wisdom. He directs us. He guides us. He arranges things for us. He hovers over our chaos as he did over creation and brings light and order if we let him. But even though he is in us, Paul says every day, pray that you be filled with him. Now, this is an illustration that only people really even older than me understand immediately. And that is back in the day, pens did not come with ink in them. You would actually have to get them a little pump on the side and an inkwell and you would put ink in there 
these fountain pens, and you can still buy them for many, many thousands of dollars, and I don't know why, but I think it was kind of like the status like a Rolex would be, when your phone will tell you the time. No, I need a $25,000, you know, uh, rob me first watch on my hand. Paul, uh, C.S. Lewis said, you could be gifted the most expensive, beautiful fountain pen. So you have the pen, but unless you fill it, it is not useful. And that was his illustration for praying to be filled with the Spirit. And Joseph was. Being filled with the Spirit, Paul says, will make you seem as strange to the world as if you were full of alcohol. Don't be drunk with wine, he says, but be drunk with the Spirit. And a lot of things that Joseph does and his faithfulness makes us go, what? How? The same way we would look at a drunk person and go, well, that's not normal. You know, if you're somebody, if a kid gets up at six o'clock in the morning to go do, uh, you know, in the old days, a paper route or some sort of small job to earn some money, we'll say that's a real go-getter. But if they get up at six in the morning to pray, we say, well, that's just weird. That's a religious nut. Isn't it interesting? Regardless, Joseph's in prison, but still filled with the spirit. And two other officials got into trouble and were thrown into prison. One was a valet, or for those of you that speak French and American English, a valet. A cup bearer, sometimes is called. Well, another was a baker or a chef. Joseph seemed to have been placed as a servant to them in prison. In other words, he was not an Egyptian. They, while prisoners are, therefore he's assigned to serve them now. This isn't still, there are no winds showing up for Joseph. One night they both had dreams and were very troubled by them. And Joseph assured them that God held the answer to dreams. So they told him what he dreamed. The cupbearer dreamed that he saw a vine with three branches and that it filled with grapes and that he, he squeezed the grapes and gave the juice to the king. Joseph told him that the, that dream meant that in three days he would be returned to the king's service. He asked the cup bearer, please remember me when you are restored to the king so I can be released. The baker heard that and was going, all right, dreams are great. I love dreams. He said, I, I had three baskets on my head, but birds were coming and eating out of the baskets, the top basket. Joseph told him that meant that in three days he would be hung, be hanged. And that birds would eat his body. Well, the goodness. Everything happened as he said it would. But the cupbearer forgot all about Joseph. Where, how do you hold on? How did Joseph hold on? I once um, asked a very stupid question to a woman. I, and not just once, by the way, but I'm only going to tell the ones here. Her... Her daughter was severely handicapped, and it was one of those 24-7 things. And I asked her, how do, you, how do you bear up and do this? And she looked at me, because she said, Patrick, you don't have a choice. <laughs> okay, duh, I get it now. You do it because you have no choice. But don't think that about Joseph. Did Joseph have a choice to drop God and find a God that would help him out of the prison? He, absolutely. Did he have, a, have the choice to turn prisoner and join into the violence of the day? Yeah, but he didn't. And that's what fascinates me about Joseph because he's in a story and everything is very, very, very dark. 
It's rather like a Charles Dickens story. Now, those of you who had teachers that made you read Dickens know that everything that can go wrong goes wrong, goes wrong, goes wrong, goes wrong, goes wrong. And then at the very end, there's a redemption. But nobody in the story sees the redemption coming. Your story and Joseph's story are all the same. We don't see it yet. We're still in it. Well, two years later, Pharaoh had a dream. Again, I told you, dreams feature very, very centrally in this story, but also in the culture of this time and many places today. The cupbearer remembered Joseph, and he said, uh, listen, Joseph, this guy knows dreams, and he's in prison. Pharaoh said, bring him out. So he had no, by the way, when he brought him out, he had no idea that he was going to stay out. You know, here you are, a prisoner being brought before the most powerful person on earth, as far as you know. Joseph assures him God can reveal the dream. In fact, he takes no credit for it. He says, you can, you can interpret dreams. He goes, God interprets dreams. And if he interprets it to me, I'll tell it to you. So he told him the meaning of his dream. And the meaning of the dream was there'd be seven good years of harvest and then seven years of famine. Please remember that the, the word seven in ancient Semitic languages, and even in most Semitic languages today, does not mean actual seven, but a long period, a complete time. So there's going to be a long time of famine, and there's uh, rather a good harvest, but there's going to be a lot of famine after. Younger people, for example, um, when you all of a sudden get a windfall, and you think, great, or you get a bonus at work, and you go, great, and you start counting on it, you're in trouble. And say, I'll save later, I'm spending this now. You're in trouble because things may not get better later. Things might get a lot worse later. So Pharaoh, you're going to want to start, instead of expanding the borders of your kingdom, instead of having everybody throw lots of feast, you're going to need to, leave, to live frugally and save your grain for the days it does not come. Well, Pharaoh said, okay, that's your job. I'm going to make you second only to Pharaoh. In fact, he said, I am Pharaoh, but without you, no one will lift hand or foot in Egypt. In other words, you're in charge of Egypt. He was 30 years old. You can get whiplash with the twists and turns his life has taken. But before you start thinking, cool, look at what God has done for him. He is still far from home. He is still alone. And here, most important, this is not the story he wanted. He was living the story he wanted. Star in his family. Obviously, the golden child. This was not the story he wanted. I talk to God about that sometimes. And I'll say, you know, this is not the story I was looking for. This is not the story. And I always say, I know you know the story. I know you how, you know, I know I go to heaven. And but this isn't the story I was looking for. Sometimes it's after you visited the doctor. And he says, we found, we done, we've run some tests. We know what's wrong with you. You're old. Or you're a guy. Or whatever it is. You know, it's, it's basically, you're a human being. So, but the good news is you won't be one forever. <laughs> you're going, Okay. It's not the story he wants. But Joseph 
tucked in, he arranged the storage of grain and goods. And when the hard time came, they came hard. They reached out of Egypt. Famine spread all the way back to where Jacob's family were. So Jacob sent his sons to Egypt to buy grain. And there they met Joseph. Well, well, well. Joseph was a better man than I. They didn't recognize him. So that was probably good. But he recognized them. I got to tell you something. I, at that moment, I would have been a very small man. <laughs> I really would have been. I don't know what I would have done, but I would have done something. But he didn't. He realized there are some here of my brothers, but not all. There's my, my father here. There are people that need food in my family that are not here. So a lot of wordplay in this story. The word one brother is an example. There'd be no peace until they were one. So he sends him back, they, back and forth. He makes them go through a whole lot of things. Uh, they go back to Egypt with Benjamin. They have twice the silver required. He hides stuff in there so they can be accused of theft. He has a big plan. And eventually, it, it works. Everybody in his family are united again in a place with food. And they wouldn't have been if Joseph hadn't been thrown into a cistern and hauled out only to be sold into slavery, only to be sold to the chief executioner, only to lose that job, only to be a light in the prison and then forgotten by the cupbearer, only, you see what I mean? Had that not happened to Joseph, Joseph's family would not be saved. And if Joseph's family had not survived the famine, there would have been no birth in Bethlehem of Jesus. Because the line would have ended. Now do you see why God doesn't have to tell you how your story ends and why it is where it is. And it might not be known for another thousand plus years. But God's really good at telling stories. If we'll play our part in them. He says to his brothers, do not be distressed. When they recognize him, God, do not be distressed. And listen to this. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. How, how do you read that and not get chills? I've got chills now. I've been reading this story a lot. At one time for 26 weeks. I'm over it. I've moved on. And then he sent them back. And said, bring everybody. And they gave them the best land in Egypt. And by the way, he said, and on your way there and back, don't quarrel with each other. Because you know, somebody's going to say, you know, I didn't want to throw him in the pit. Oh, yes, you did. They're going to do that. You know, so he's, he's basically saying, don't make me say, pull this nomadic group over to, I don't want to talk to you. They didn't have a car. Uh, the idea of, you know, no, you're going to need to get together. God sent me down here. Let's let this go. What are you willing to forgive? I remember years ago, 
a white man, young man, went into a church that was predominantly, it may have been entirely African-American. During the middle of the week, they had Bible studies there, and he joined himself to that study. And they welcomed him, uh, welcomed him warmly, only for him to pull out a handgun, and he killed quite a few people there. Do you remember that story? That story is remarkable, but the most remarkable Part of it was within a few days, you saw those church members forgiving him. A crazy man entered a school for Amish children in Pennsylvania, locked the door, harmed the children in ways that are not public knowledge, and then killed them. And the Amish people, the day of, stood and said, we forgive him. And I look at that and I go, how? But these stories are here to show us Joseph's story is still with us. What are you going to do? You're going to hold the grudge or are you going to move the story forward? Are you going to be angry or are you going to move the story forward? Are you going to play games of vengeance or will you move the story forward? I hope we can learn one of the lessons they had to learn. That those who are favored and blessed by God far beyond us, it could be because God has something for them to do that requires them to be there. I don't know what happened to the guy, and I'm, I'm seeing his face right now in my head, that I always think of when I think of the, the guy that had it all and wasn't a jerk. Because there, there are people that have it all that are real jerks. We know that. But I mean, this guy, you couldn't find a way to dislike him, but we kept trying. Because he was smart, handsome, well-built. Girls liked him. He was athletic and great. And I just... Anyway. I would love to know what God has done with his story. And I bet you God knew back then. And that's why he had all of that. God had put him in position. What part that they play and why they are blessed is frankly none of our business. So why... Be jealous. Or why cringe when Kelly Brock, I'm sure she didn't say it now, they're not paying her to say it, in the 80s or 90s says, don't hate me because I'm beautiful. Can we learn to trust the hand of God rather than descend into bitterness, envy, and depression? Well, can we also believe that we were created and placed just right to play the part God needs us to play? And can we wait for heaven it really all boils down to this. Do you trust God? If you do, you'll play your part in the story. If you're thinking, I don't know what part to play. Oh, you really do. Love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. There you go. I know everybody says, that sounds too simple. Have you tried it? It's not. It. And some of your neighbors that you're supposed to be loving, make the job harder than necessary. I'll, I'll even think sometimes, you know, God, I'm trying to love, but they're not making this easy. And of course, he always convicts me with I'm the one not making it easy. I get that. I get that. Do you, tr do you trust God to tell your story and to play your part in it? Because that's the story of Joseph. Had it not happened, we would not be here. We would not know Christ. But because he was faithful, we do. I have another story to tell you. And then a song. 
Some of you saw this uh, story earlier. I'm going to move this over so we can gently transition into that mic. I'm going to turn off here. All right, did I turn off? <laughs> I can never tell with the button which way I went. Are we good there, David? All right. Okay, good. Thank you. You would think after wearing this for years, I would know which way it goes, but you would be wrong. You would be so wrong. I love the story of William Cowper. I think I identify a little bit with him, but not as, not in the elements of the story. William Cowper was born in the 1700s to a well-to-do English family. And great things were expected of all the children. They had land. They had educational opportunity. But William fought depression and anxiety and sometimes hallucinations. One year, he tried to commit suicide three different times. So they put him in an institution for the, the insane. And that, my friends, back then was a hellhole. But eventually, because he had money, and he had people, he had family of standing. He was able to get out and he functioned fairly well, but he fell in love with a woman. I don't know if she fell in love with him or not. What I do know in the story is that when he went to his father to ask permission to court her, his father disapproved of the match and said no. And those of us listening out here in 2023 might be saying, well, love him anyway. Not done back then, not allowed back then. And so, he fell into depression again. He struggled his entire life with just feelings of unworthiness and in fact had a dream that he would never ever be able to be good enough for heaven. Maybe some of you think that about yourself. Well, in one of his dreams, he saw the pyres of hell and he knew he was destined and he heard what he thought was the voice of God who said to him, that the only way he might be redeemed is if he sacrificed his own life. So he sent out a servant to call a cab. Remember, this is 1700s. It's in London. If you've never been to London, London is a, it's a massive city. It is just massive. And it is full of crooked streets. Cabbies there today, taxi cab drivers today, have to pass a test called the knowledge before they're allowed to be a taxi driver. And I've watched this done uh, on television. They've done specials when, when we lived there. It is like getting a bachelor's degree in one map. And it generally takes four to 10 years of hard work. They will test you. They'll say, how do you get from this address to that address? And they must in their head know all of the twists and turns, no matter where it is in London, to get there. And it's more complicated now because there are tax rules, congestion fees, one ways, and they have to know it all. Well, it's, it was a rough place. And then back in the 1700s, fog and smog from all the fires, not just from house fires, but fires at the butchers where they're burning up the extra bits, fire at the coal plants, car, all of that mixed to where many times in London, the air was almost unbreathable and visibility would drop to a few feet. And that was one of these nights. The cab driver showed up. William Cowper got in and told him to go to the River Thames. 
River Thames was a major river that bisects London. And the cab driver couldn't find it. In the no visibility, they went for hours up one lane, down the other. They followed false sounds, because if you've not, not been in it, you don't know this, but in very thick fog, sound plays games. And you can think it's coming from this direction, and it's close, but it's coming from that direction and miles away. There's no way to know. After hours, Cowper was getting so frustrated that eventually he told the cabbie to stop where he was, just let him out. And the cab driver says, I don't know where we are. You know, you're a gentleman. I, I can, you know, if, if something happened to him, they'd come for the cabbie. I can't do that. And he insisted. And so finally, reluctantly, the cab driver pulled out and Cowper got up, slammed the door, turned around and looked, and there was the door to his house. He walked inside and wrote, God moves in a mysterious way, his wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps on the sea and rides upon the storm. We're going to sing that hymn uh, at this time as our closing hymn, and then Topper will lead us in a closing prayer. There are, I'm aware, uh, five major tunes and a sixth that you find for this song, so I'm just going to do the one I know. All right? It's a very simple tune. There's, there are no choruses. There are no bridges. So if you hear the first line, you know how do we go from there, all right? Mm -hmm. 